0: On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is. Amen. Thank you, Amy. It's good to be with you this morning. If you have little ones through grade four and you'd like them to be in children's church, they can be dismissed at this time. For the Turn those lights on back in the back. Daniel, if you'd help me with that. The rest of you, if you would, it's good to be with you back in the Word of God this morning. Hope this is not the first time you've been in it this week because if it is, you are starving this morning and that's not what the Lord intended for His Word and you so, uh, plan to be in the Word each day. We have a trifold in the back on the welcome table can help you with that, or if you read a new version or one of the other versions, uh, online versions, you can find a Bible reading calendar that'll take you through cover to cover in a year. Let me encourage you to continue to do that, and then really what the Lord had planned for His Word for you, which He's exalted equal to His own name, will become part of your lifestyle. You will begin to see those Attributes the Lord wants to be in your life, see the things he wants out, see the places where you can praise him. You'll know the kind of God he is and how he works, and you'll be able to understand what's going on in the world around you as you are prepared to do those things through his word. So that's my encouragement today. Hopefully that's not your plan in the back behind me on the screen, having enough coffee to get through a boring sermon. I'm gonna try to do my best not to put you to sleep. But if you need coffee, it's always available in the foyer. Okay. So God's plan for a healthy church is study through the books. Uh, first and second Corinthians the highs and lows of ministry It's our new stop here as we get to chapter 6 dealing with disappointing responses I'm sure you've been disappointed Uh, there are probably some who came to worship today struggling with uh, disappointment takes many forms sometimes we're disappointed in people which this is really Paul's emphasis here as he does his ministry uh, less than uh, a response that he would expect perhaps from some who've heard his teaching and he can be disappointed in their responses. Sometimes we get disappointed with our plans, and they don't materialize. Sometimes we get disappointed with the twists of life. That's one of those emotions we'd probably rather avoid. As a small-town prosecuting attorney, he called his first witness to the stand in a trial. A grandmotherly, elderly woman, he approached her and asked her, Mrs. Jones, do you know me? She responded, why, yes, I do know you, Mr. Williams. I've known you since you were a young boy, and frankly, you've been a big disappointment to me. You lie, you cheat, you manipulate people, you talk about them behind their backs, you think you're a rising big shot when you haven't the brains to realize you'll never amount to anything more than a two-bit paper pusher. Yes, I know you. The lawyer was stunned. He doesn't have any words, which you can tell a lawyer stunned if he doesn't have anything to say. Not knowing what else to do, he pointed across the room and asked, Mrs. Jones, do you know the defense attorney? And she replied, why, yes, I do. I've known Mr. Bradley since he was a youngster, too. I used to babysit him for his parents, and he, too, has been a real disappointment to me. He's lazy, he's bigoted, he has a drinking problem. The man can't build a normal relationship with anyone, and his law practice is one of the shoddiest in the entire state. Yes, I know him. At this point, the judge wrapped the courtroom into silence and called both counselors to the bench. And in a very quiet voice, he whispered, if either of you asks her if she knows me, you will be jailed for contempt. (laughs) Disappointment is one of those things we'd rather rather avoid. It's part and parcel to this life. And we were able to see last week, one of the things Paul had to deal with was disappointment in ministry. It's not unique, however, to Paul. If you minister, you know. It is part of the things that we have to deal with. And the first section of the passage, which obviously is concerned with the highs and lows of ministry, um, in 2 Corinthians 6, 1 through 3, gives us tremendous insight on how to deal with disappointing uh, responses. So look with me, if you would. We'll read chapter uh, chapter 6, 1 through 3, as is our habit. and go verse by verse from there. Look at verse 1, it says, And working together with him, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain, for he says at the acceptable time i listened to you and on the day of salvation i helped you behold now is the acceptable time behold now is the day of salvation verse three giving no cause for offense in anything so that the ministry will not be discredited as we started uh, this passage we saw that verse verse one says working together with him we also urge you not to receive the grace of god in vain it kind of sets the stage for where he's going to go and it's our first clue from Paul as he reveals his heart to us on how he keeps uh, his balance during the ups and downs of ministry. And it's really found in the first part of verse 1, and working together with him. And we notice that uh, this first principle of encouragement as it relates to the ups and downs is a feeling of honor. It just kind of made its way right into Paul's speech. His his first response is working together with him. We know that we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. We saw that in chapter 5. And the word of reconciliation, that's part of what we're supposed to do. And so Paul just incorporates it right in in chapter 6 and says working together with him. And that's how he handles disappointing responses. And it's a pretty significant honor. And We looked at it at length last time. It should have a wonderful stabilizing effect on, on the laborer in the highs and lows of ministry. And it should as well... Um, uh, a very well-established principle from the Word of God, which really, uh, as we saw last week, and we can get excited about it, and it's an obvious encouragement to the work that you do, regardless of whatever the response may be. It may not be what you hoped it would be. Perhaps you labor for a long time over a Sunday school class, a small group Bible study, whatever it may be, and you didn't see that do things you'd like to have seen it do. That doesn't mean it wasn't doing what the Lord wanted it to do. And so it's a stabilizing effect for the work and encouragement for the work. And we can get excited about privileges of working with uh, people that the world offers. And we we think about somebody that we'd like to work together with in our field of study. As someone we admire, uh, but beloved, I think there isn't anything in the world that offers uh, you anything compared to working together with the Lord. And we went through that at length. If you missed that, you can catch that online. And uh, then the next part of that, it says working together with him, he says, we also urge you Uh, Some in the church in Corinth, believers who had been reconciled were not doing what needed to be done, and they weren't doing it at the level that it needed to be done. And Paul wasn't content to let it stay that way. And so uh, he was invested, he was passionate about what uh, God had called him to do. And so that second principle of encouragement during the ups and downs is a sense of investment, a sense of dedication. So regardless of how the response may have been, regardless of what it may have happened over time, he continues to urge, he continues to bring to light what needs to be done and, and the minister is an urger if we saw last time right at the end last time if you will an, an entreater a beseecher a pleader that's what the minister does and, and that's what uh, he means when he says we also urge you so we're working together with him we saw that in the first, very first phrase in the ministry of reconciliation but we're also uh, working with him in urging you see there's two things going on here paul says we work together with him and we also urge you and at that we urge present active indicative Paracoletto, we come alongside of you, we call you to our side if you will. we exhort uh, you to listen and respond those ideas they are connected with what it means to urge so they 're not doing what they 're supposed to be doing, so part of the job of a minister, part, part of a job of a, uh, someone who ministers among the people, part of a job of a pastor is the pleading for that same commitment over and over again and here. Uh, What is Paul pleading for? What is he modeling for us? He says not to receive the grace of God in vain. And that was our next principle of encouragement uh, in the ups and downs of ministry is is continue in expectation, continue in reminding, continue in encouraging, continue to call people back. And we we took a long time with this last time. As we looked at the Old Testament, saw God is really that kind of God. He is constantly calling people back, constantly sending uh, the prophets, constantly sending his people into uh, the children of Israel, to help them be called back and constantly still doing it now. Uh, we see that in Ephesians chapter 6 and a number of different places where the Lord has given to the church certain men to do a certain job and they're to continue to call his people back. And God's a pleader all through the scriptures. We saw that last time. And, and you are here, and we saw in chapter 5, as God's ambassador, as if God were making an appeal through you. So as a believer, that's your job, to be an ambassador. So... Um, you represent him you you follow his instructions that's what it means to be an ambassador to, to put forward his priorities to put forward his agenda not yours and so don't be discouraged because you have to be a pleader in, in regards uh, to your ministry it might be your chief function it might be the main thing you have to do all through your ministry and and uh, and, and then he reminds them of, of their benefits while he's exhorting them and he, he quotes the Lord in verse 2 he says this he says uh, at the acceptable time, I listened to you, and on the day of salvation, I helped you. And the first part of that passage is quoted out of Isaiah chapter 49. We saw that last time. And it's really a conversation between God and Jesus, where Jesus says in Isaiah that his ministry as a substitutionary atonement for the nation of Israel was rejected. So it was a, it was a ministry in vain. And the Lord answers back and says, it was not a ministry in vain. I will accomplish everything that I intended to accomplish through your work, and Israel will be redeemed, and all the promises will be fulfilled, so not to, not to be discouraged, that that is part and parcel of how God works. Sometimes it's not the initial response that you're looking for, but the Lord is at work through the ministry if it's a faithful ministry. And then Paul says, behold, he says, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And we see that in spite of all the circumstances of his ministry, uh, we see this next principle of encouragement as we deal with the highs and lows of ministry It's number four. Paul kept his sense of urgency. And we're to keep our sense of urgency, too. Now, if you think about Paul, and we've talked, you know, we've, we've been looking at his ministry all through the book of 1 Corinthians, and now into 2nd. We understand some of the things he had to deal with in the church. and they were, they were difficult. Hardship, hard things being said, critical people, you know, factions, difficulty inside the church among believers, doing things incorrectly, everybody talking at once during this, the, the uh the service, people standing up and saying things in the middle, you know, doing the communion incorrectly. We we just looked at all of that kind of stuff. So Paul's been through all of this, okay? So it's easy if you're really jaded and it's just really about, you know, they're not listening to me and so I don't think I'm being very effective here and, you know, they're not doing what they're supposed to do and it's all kind of centering around you. It's going to be easy to get discouraged and to be burnt out, really, to be be, uh, honest with you. But Paul keeps this sense of urgency and, of course, calls us to that, too, because when people slip backwards you, and you have to go back over things you've covered already, if it's three steps forward and two steps back or two steps forward and three steps back, whatever the situation may uh, may indicate, and you have to go through it again, it's easy to lose the sense of urgency. It's easy to just become, you know, here we go again, you know, and, and that... When people you know, don't respond like you hope they would, you know, that prideful, they've heard this all before, they are undoubtedly going to need to hear it again, and that can chip away at your fervor. When you have to go back and repeat stuff that you've had to repeat before, and it seems like really the basics of how, how church has to work and all that, that can, that can take away and chip away your, at your fervor. If you're not coming in with eyes wide open and realizing this is part and part parcel of what you're supposed to do, you are, you are gonna call them back continually, and you are going to be continually uh, with fervor, bringing that fervor to the ministry, because that's what the Lord's called you to do, not because something's going on that you either like or dislike. It's not, it's not subjective that way. It's very objective. This is the ministry, and you keep doing it, and Paul models this urgency again and again for the hundredth time or more, even though he's been, he's been worn out, even though he's been Uh, abused, whatever it has been. He just continues to keep this urgency. And what he's saying to the Corinthians and to all of us is this is no time for weakness. This is no time for vacillation. This is no time for feebleness. It's like uh, Laura has many times encouraged me over the years. What what did you expect? You know, I'll come home and I'll be discouraged. What did you expect in ministry? We're in the last days of ministry. And what what does Paul say to Timothy about the last days of ministry? So, Shouldn't surprise us in what I'm saying. is, you do ministry, and sometimes it's discouraging. Sometimes people do things you wish they wouldn't do. That should not surprise us. Paul dealt with many of these things as he has uh, worked his way through these churches, and we have to deal with it too. So it's no time for weakness. It's no time for vacillation, no time for feebleness. Now, as we closed last time, this is a verse we didn't get to, so I want to I get into this, because it's, it's, a, it's a great illustration. It has some things to say about, about vacillation. It has the same things to say about feebleness. Verse 32 says this. The writer writes, says, he says, but remember the former days when, after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of suffering, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulation, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. So in other words, it was a difficult time for you in the church here, as they're being, uh, they're, they're being written to, uh, and you had a hard time, and, and you bore together with those who also were having a hard time. And then it says, verse 34, for you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have... Uh, for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. Verse thirty-five. There, do not throw. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. For catch this, you have need of what? Endurance. You have need of endurance, so that what you've done, uh, once you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, He who is coming will come, and will not delay. And a little later, he encourages his readers concerning discipline, but it applies here as well. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 12, he says this, he says, um, therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and knees that are feeble. So same kind of idea in the middle of difficult times or on the heels of difficult times or hardship when you have to go over things again and again, when you have, when it doesn't seem to be going like you think it should go. And, and Paul is dealing with this because this is reality in the ministry. This is no time for feeble Christianity. This is, this is the day of salvation. That's what Paul just reminded them. This, this is not a time to waste. This is the acceptable time. The Lord is going to work through your ministry of reconciliation, work through uh, your, your word of reconciliation. He's going to work through the fact that you're an ambassador and you're pleading on behalf uh, of Christ, be reconciled to God. And so you just keep on keeping on and strengthen yourself. This is, this is a time to present the gospel that saves. As we saw last time, Adam, Matthew, this is, the, this is the time to sow the seeds of the gospel that's safe and then go to bed and wake up and see that the seeds are sprouting, apart from your labor. The Lord is the one that gives life, see. And it's time to wake up and see uh, all these things. And so he's concerned that the Corinthians do not miss out on the opportunity to do what they were saved to do, to not just kind of sit back like most uh, many in the modern Christian church and just barely get by and, you know, 20% of the people do 80% of the work, and 80% of the people do 20% of the work. Paul says it's not that time. It's time to act on this great ministry of reconciliation that, that the God of all the universe has always been about and has given to them and has promised to do with them, see? So that they may be useful during this urgent time to give out the word of reconciliation at a time when God hears and helps a repentant sinner. Now, let's look at the next verse in our section. Look down, if you would, in Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3 and he says this. And, and beloved, you, you, you know this by now because you've known me for 10 years, but as you go through these passages, you realize it may be a very short verse, but the principle may be a large one, and you get that. We don't have to cover a huge amount of the text to receive a huge blessing from reading it. See, if we, if we do our due diligence when we read something like this, we can't just gloss over it because it implies so much, and there's knowledge that has to be there in place. So Paul says this, Verse 3, giving no cause for offense in anything so that the ministry will not be discredited. And this is where we find our next principle. If you're a note taker, you can put this on the back of your bulletin. In dealing with the highs and lows of ministry, and particularly here, disappointing responses. And this is number 5. Paul's principle of personal assessment or self-evaluation. It's Paul's principle of personal assessment or self-evaluation. Okay? Now we know as we share the gospel as we disciple people as we teach whatever the case may be uh, whatever part of the ministry that you are part of that people who are uncommitted people who are doing less than they should be doing or people who walk in open disobedience and sinfulness right after you've given them the gospel they understand the word of god they've come to faith they understand blessing tied up with obedience and then they just do whatever they want to do we've had all those experiences whatever the case may be and whoever you're talking about whoever is in your mind and so they're disobeying disobeying the clear commands of scripture or they're uncommitted or they're doing a lot less than they should be doing, whatever it is, what do they do? Well, they're always looking for reasons to justify their responses. If they're walking in disobedience, they're looking for a reason to justify that disobedience, right? And, and if they're not doing what they should be doing, they always look for reasons to justify why they're not doing what they should be doing, why they're not involved at the level they need to be involved in, why they're not uh, doing the work of reconciliation, why they're not giving out the word of reconciliation, why they're not representing the Lord as an ambassador, because these are the jobs we've been given. All believers have been given these jobs. And when they're not doing that, whatever it is, they're always looking for reasons why they're not doing it. They want to justify why they're doing I'm too busy, I've got too much going on, You know, I've overcommitted, I'm, I'm whatever, right? But I think the intended takeaway for us here in the course of ministry is this, that we provide no justification for their underwhelming response. You get it? I think that's the takeaway here. And, and this is an important one for Paul because we see it with him many, many times throughout his letters. We're not gonna put ourselves in a place so that it could have something to do with us. And Paul makes that clear. And he's had to do this a lot in the past it's important for him to, to evaluate his life and make sure there's no excuse for someone to resist the truth. And that could be by being sure, uh, as we just kind of apply it to ourselves, by being sure we're, we're doing what we're doing for the right reasons and with the right attitude, so it has personal integrity connected with it. So you're not just kind of going through the motions because you have to, because your wife or your husband expect you to, or because somebody's showing up and you've got to do it. But instead, you're doing it for the correct reasons, investing in an in internal, uh, in, in internal kingdom. You, you know you're an ambassador. You're, you're doing the hard work and putting yourself there where you can do it. So it could have to do with doing it the right reason, for the right reasons, and you're taking a hard look at that and making sure that personal integrity is intact. It could also have something to do with providing no legitimate foundation for some to say that our Christian uh, faith is counterfeit or hypocritical right? In other words, being sure that, uh, that what you're saying is not in conflict with personal virtue or morality. You're not saying one thing and living some other way in your life, in your private life, okay? So you want to make sure that's not the case, or, and we'll look at all of these things as we go through, or, or anything you allow in your life as it, as it re- involves personal freedom. You just want to make sure that you're taking a look at your life, a hard look as Paul did, and making sure you're not providing some obstacle that is causing that underwhelming response, and so there's, there's some personal integrity involved here, and Paul wants to take a look at it, and it's a very common topic, and Paul revisits this over and over again, and because we've seen it so many times from him, I think by now we can say, and we should say, that if, if there's any place where integrity and good conscience are important, it's in the church, for those who serve in the church, it's in the ministry. It's in the life of the pastor, it's in the life of the servant of God, the evangelist, the spiritual leader, those who lead ministry, all of those things. Now, beloved, as we said before, it's not that those people don't sin, okay, because that would be impossible, and that would also be in conflict with what we understand from the Word of God. But they're dealing with that sin on a regular basis, as they should, following the prompting of the Holy Spirit, okay? So those people who are leading have not been placed on some pedestal whereby they, have no, they no longer deal with the same type of, of uh, difficulties and 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 uh, temptations and whatever that you're dealing with. They, they are dealing with those things, but they're dealing with them correctly, okay? Paul wouldn't have said, I've reached the place where I don't sin. In fact, Paul says in Romans chapter seven, after he came to know Christ, that everything that was, he thought he was doing fine, and he realized he was doing very poorly, and the law came to life, and he realized all these things were in his life, and the more he understood the word of God, the more it revealed the things that were in conflict with what he understood, and so it was a constant battle, okay? And then at the end, he just pleads and says, who will deliver me from this body of death? And what does he say? Well, Christ will. Eventually, someday, the body, which is that, seat, that, that, that uh, beachhead where sin still has a hold, uh, will be done away with and a new body will be yours and it'll no longer be subject to those things. And so we understand that it's not, we're not talking about someone who's come to the place where they don't sin. We're just talking about somebody who's dealing with those things as they should. But I think, as you think about the ministry, in the life of the pastor, servant of God, the the evangelist, the spiritual leader, uh, they they have to maintain integrity in order to have credibility to set an example for all to follow. Because you don't want to be there doing something that's at odds with the Word of God, or you've allowed something in your life in freedom that causes somebody to stumble, or you're just being real lackadaisical about it, and then that becomes the the reason for the uh, uh, underwhelming response. And yet there are many in spiritual leadership, and there always have been, who lack that integrity. See, they're doing the things they do in ministry for the wrong reasons or with the wrong attitude or because they're not uh, taking what's in the Word of God and delivering it to those under their care uh, from the kitchen to the table, as we talked about before as a galley slave. And, and those who minister are those. Or there's the huckster. That's the person who tries to sell it with some c- cool stories, and, and you, 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 you really have something you want to say, and you just kind of pick and choose from the Word of God. It goes on a lot corporately in big big settings you're not teaching the word of god you're using the word of god to say what you want to say see that's that's a huckster okay be aware of that because it's very attractive and easy on the ears but you come away with nothing you're empty you're it's it's no reason the church it's no reason it's it's no wonder that the church is emaciated spiritually because that's the kind of teaching we get a lot okay Whatever the speaker wants to say, and he just kind of picks and chooses from the Word of God to kind of help underwrite what he's trying to say, all right? And so you got the hucksterism, and then you got just the false teacher. They just come out and just say the wrong things, and they teach wrong theology, and you've got to be aware of that. And if you're reading the Word of God regularly on a daily basis, it will right away prompt your conscience because the Holy Spirit is being uh, is forming your conscience. You can say, whoa, that's not right. So all those things are going on. We see that going on all around us, okay? And, and, or, you know, they're saying one thing and they're doing another, see? As there's a lot of immorality going on, and, and, and it ends up coming out, it, and it will. just takes a little bit of time, okay? If you're, if you're heading down an immoral road, eventually everybody will know, okay? So, guys, you, you know, just this is free. As a side note, keep control of your thought life, because if you head down the thought life road, and you're not reigning that in, then eventually everybody's going to know, okay? Because sin will take you farther than you want to go to keep you longer than you want to stay, Okay? So just keep that in mind, but this, this is important in the ministry, is, is everywhere else, and just Paul calls it here, giving no cause for offense in anything, and that offense is a noun we've seen many times before, proskipen. It it's the term uh, that has been totally removed from its context in our current society, so I want to clarify that, okay? Um, in our culture, uh, our culture seems to take offense at everything, okay? Um, truth is offensive to people today because feelings are the most important thing. And and if someone takes offense, as it's used today, then it's almost automatically assumed that the speaker is at fault. So if you speak truth and they're offended, then you're wrong, okay? Well, this is not how Paul is gonna present this to you, okay? But uh, the word isn't used this way in scripture. It isn't what Paul intends in his instruction. People can feel offended, but that doesn't mean that any offense took place, okay? So I just wanna clarify that. Paul's instructions aren't based on what other people feel, okay? But rather, um, keeping a close watch on his own actions and his own motivations. That's the emphasis here. And one of the places that illustrates that very well is from Romans chapter 14, verse 13. I love this passage because it has two different phrases that have to do with this. And Paul is dealing here with issues connected to freedom in Christ, which are connected to this. passage we're talking about now, because that's one of the ways you can, you can cause a stumbling block for people is you're, you, in your freedom in Christ, you're exercising things uh, that you shouldn't perhaps be because other people don't understand them, and you can cause them difficulty, but we'll get to that. But here he's talking about issues related to freedom in Christ, and we looked at this at length a number of years ago. I'll just remind you quickly, we won't go through the passage uh, in any huge depth, but it's an important illustration for our passage this morning. In verse 13, uh, Paul says this, he says, therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, here it is, not to put an obstacle, same word we've been using, not to put an obstacle of stumbling or, or a stumbling block in a brother's way. Now, in context, the therefore, because we always want to know what it's there for, right, uh, it has to do with strong believers and weak believers. That's the whole, that's the whole uh, topic of Romans 14. A strong person is not to condemn a weak person, and a weak person is not to judge a strong person. That's why he says, Therefore. So don't judge somebody because they're not as strong in the faith as you and don't judge somebody because they're, uh, they're, uh, they seem to be way out of bounds with, with where they should be in their Christian walk. And so without going in too much further in, into depth in this really insightful passage, the command is referencing eating and drinking and, and the idea that a strong person necessarily must eat and drink to do whatever their liberty told them to do uh, to prove they're strong. Now we see that often in today's society, don't we? That people do things as believers and we see drinking a lot is just, I'm strong, so I'm going to do it, see. And, and we see that pretty often in our, in our, uh, in our passage. You've got to prove you're strong. So the question Paul's answering is, is, is it essential, see, is it essential for you to do what you believe you're free to do in order to prove yourself to be strong? That's the question Paul is answering. And in light of the, of the next command, what's the answer? Let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or stomach block in our brother's way. So what's the answer? The answer is No. It's not essential that we do things that, uh, to prove that we're strong, and, and, and uh, it's not essential for a believer who's strong and understands his liberty in Christ to exercise that liberty to prove that strength. In fact, the strong believer will demonstrate a greater amount of spiritual strength for the most part if he does not exercise that liberty. That's the whole issue here, okay? And uh, the issue is not whether we exercise our liberty, but whether we possess that liberty. We have it. But do you have to do it in order to prove you have it? And the answer is no. So abstaining from freedom could be viewed from the outside in two different ways. It may be that a weaker believer who abstains because they don't understand or can't accept their freedom. So in other words, there's something they could do. It's not a moral issue or a scriptural uh, prohibition. It's just they don't understand they could do it and they don't want to do it. Okay, so a weaker believer abstains because they don't understand or can't accept their freedom. Or it may be a stronger believer who abstains uh, to keep from offending the temporarily weaker one okay so the point of the passage again paul uses a lot of words here appears to be that we we don't want to come to the conclusion in order to prove that we're strong we have to flaunt our freedom no one needs to prove strength in that regard and certainly no one needs to be pressed into exercising freedom not the weaker brother who abstains out of unbelief and and not the stronger brother who abstains out of love now in summary as we saw a few years ago and this will apply to our current passage in just a moment you'll see this as we think about that, in the day-to-day operation of a specific church, there are going to be a, 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 a kind of conformity. And I think you can see this as the church works together, and each church is a little different, but it's based on the weaker brother or sister and their past experience and their background and their conscience and what they can and cannot allow in their life. And that will really set some limitations on what is done in the church because they can't believe they're free to do those things. You get that? So that makes, kind of, that makes a lot of sense, right? If it's the responsibility of the strong believer to kind of set the tempo of the church, uh, then they have to look and see what people can and cannot accept as weaker believers, and then they just kind of bring it down so that they're not offended, okay? So that kind of sets some limitations. And and the stronger brothers, or, or sisters, out of love for the weaker brothers will come under those limitations. And so, and here's where we begin to connect to our, our passage this morning, and so, So he watches what he does closely, see? And that's what Paul's telling us in 2 Corinthians 6, 3. He watches what he does closely, because that's what you have to do, in order not to cause a problem for the weaker brother, see? And as we noticed when we studied the passage, it should be an upward conformity, okay? So it's not that we're all going to continue to be weak because we have a few weak ones. So that as the strong in love confine themselves to what, what will be tolerated by the weak, they build those relationships with the weak that eventually will strengthen them and widen their scope of their liberty. And that's kind of what we that's kind of where the church goes. It goes from what everybody can what everybody can manage up to what the Lord would like the church to do. And it's just kind of a, a growth process, okay? So that's the way the Holy Spirit set it up. Now remember, remember this. Our freedom, as we think about the things we're allowed to do, because this has every connection to not putting a stumbling block in somebody's way. What we're allowed to do, what we can do as a leader somebody who's in a position of authority, you're leading a small group, you're leading a Sunday school class, you're, you're, you're teaching the church, you're doing whatever, okay? Our freedom is before God, okay? Our liberty is before God. It's vertical, okay? It, it is not limited in non-moral preferential things. It's not limited, okay? Non-moral preferential things. We're talking about, not talking about what the Lord says not to do, okay? You don't have the freedom to sin, you don't have the freedom to do other things that the Lord has said not to do, okay? And you don't, have to, you don't have the freedom to not do things the Lord has specifically said to do. These are preferential things that you allow in your life, okay? Now, the exercise of our freedom, so our freedom is vertical, but the exercise of our freedom is horizontal, okay? It's, it, and it's limited by love because it's connected to everybody else. In my own heart, I may feel I'm free to do many things I would never do, because I don't need to do those things to prove I'm strong. And from the other side, I also don't need to do these things so that I may have an opportunity to express my love to those who are weak. See? So I don't do some things because I don't have to do them to prove I'm strong. And I also don't do some things because they might harm someone who's weaker in the, fl- in the faith, and I don't want to do that. It's not worth it, you see? So both those things are in play. So if you think you're strong, then understand Paul's concern in looking at verse 13. It's, not to, it's to make sure you don't use your liberty uh, to the limit. And his point is not to have you flaunting your liberty, defining terms and conditions, and demanding your rights. Instead, it's to teach you to restrain your liberty for love's sake. So now that we have that context, look at verse 13 again. In Romans chapter 14. Therefore, he says, therefore, Let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle, that's our word, proskopos, and here's the synonym, stumbling block, that's the word scandalon, in a brother's way. And that really seems to clearly lay out the command for the stronger brother, doesn't it? And it lays out the command for those who minister, that they don't put themselves in a position where they're causing difficulty for someone and maybe an underwhelming response. And I believe it's what Paul's referencing in our passage as a principle of dealing with disappointing responses. Make sure you're not responsible for someone else's feeling. Okay? So Paul starts out with, he says, therefore, let us not judge one another anymore. And this appears to be directed to both the strong and the weak. It's connected to verse 10. Why do you judge your brother? Why do you regard your brother with contempt? And Paul confirms, see, he confirms that this is what's been happening. And And he tells them in no uncertain terms to stop it. He says, let us, and Paul just affirms, there's some other things going on here, and and uh, something he must heed as well. He says, but let us, but rather determine this. In other words, make up your mind on this thing in this way. Th- and here he switched to addressing the strong heiress imperative. Uh, this is calling for action. You initiate this action. So it's not an option. If, if you, uh, you want to know when Paul's actually saying you, this needs to be done, it needs to be done now, heiress imperative would, would tell you that. There needs to be a, a definite point where this has changed and your your approach to this problem has completely switched. This is one of those places. Okay? You initiate the action, make a decision, and your decision should be this not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in your brother's way. That is that is important, imperative for those who walk in the church. Okay? Proscomo that's that's the obstacle, something and and that's a, great, that's a great pass for those of you who like to hike and, and run trails and stuff. That, that's something that would be in the trail if your foot strikes it. That could turn your ankle, turn you off the trail, make you have to change direction a little bit. You're not supposed to put that, okay? It could cause you to fall, could be impeded, if you will, a, a log fall, any, anything like that, a washed out trail. Anything that caused you to be impeded, Okay. And in our passage of 2 Corinthians 6, three, Paul uses the same word. It says this. He says, uh, giving no cause for offense in anything, giving no cause, there should be no part of your ministry or your life that could cause someone to be impeded on their journey. And, and that's the same idea in Romans. It's always going to be, at least initially, from the perspective of the weaker brother, or in this case, from someone who is responding to the ministry of reconciliation that you're doing, uh, giving, as the present active participle did on taste, vertic- uh, verbal adjective, it's in the negative. So here's, here's the idea. You are not to be a giver of hindrances. You're not to be that. That's what Paul says in our passage in 2 Corinthians 6. Because he says it in this way. No cause in anything. So just make sure you take uh, no cause in anything. Or both the same word. He's just using it differently. Make sure there's no possible way that you would be responsible at any time for anyone having a difficulty because of something you've done. So that's pretty clear, see? So Paul takes this seriously. He wants to make sure he's not the cause for someone having a difficult time in responding to the ministry. Now, back to our illustration from Romans 14, 13. It says this. He says, therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather this, not to put an obstacle our word post a hindrance, something that caused somebody to miss the trail, misstep, have to turn, and then this word, a stumbling block in the brother's way. And we said that that's the noun scandalon. It's one really of the word for the trigger of a trap. So the idea here is, is um, a general reference of being in traps. So the command is very clear from Romans 14, just like in 2 Corinthians 6. These are things we're not to do. Not to do something, in other words, traps someone at a place where they can, can't continue to move forward. So they're so hung up on what you did that their, their growth is stunted. Okay, so here he's pretty, pretty clear in Romans 14, uh, both those things, no, no obstacle, no stumbling block. That's what we're not to do. We don't want to be the source of trapping a Christian in a sin as a result of what we do. So creating a situation by w- which we allow what could bring about a disappointing response. We don't want to create a situation by our own actions that cause someone to trip up, fall, stopping them on their upward progress. That's pretty clear. So in our passage in 2 Corinthians 6.3, He says, giving no cause for offense in anything, so we put no obstacle in someone's way. And Paul has urged the church, his readers, not to receive the grace of God in vain. And so so he says to them, see, don't buy your lackadaisical response. Make all the work that went into your salvation be for nothing because you're, you're not doing what you should do. That's what he tells the church. You know, don't receive the grace of God in vain. And he says to those who lead here, that a self-evaluation has to be in place, so that his own conduct as God's messenger does not constitute a stumbling block. He says on, to the to the responders, don't you know? Don't have a lackadaisical response upwardly move. Do the things you're supposed to do. You've learned what you're supposed to do. Move on them. Do the things you know you're supposed to be about. Be an ambassador. Have the word of reconciliation. Uh, You know, beg people on behalf of God be reconciled. On behalf of Christ be reconciled to God. Do those things and don't have a lackadaisical response. And then to those who minister, don't do something that creates a lackadaisical response, see? Or it might hinder the proper functioning of God's grace in those he's ministered to. And that last part of verse 3 clarifies that. He says, giving no cause giving no cause for offense, here it is, so that the ministry will not be discredited. And I think you can see that, right? I mean, what ministry? Well, in context, Paul's. But to the greater sense, the ministry of reconciliation. You don't want that to be hindered because that's how it is everywhere. If, If fault could be found in his ministry, and beloved, there were many in Corinth who were only too prepared to find that fault, They were constantly looking, and there's people in the modern church who do that too, constantly looking for something to to fault the pastor, fault the leader, fault the Sunday school teacher, whatever it is, they're all only too prepared to find it, then presumably that could be used as an excuse to reject the message. See, So now just because they feel there's something doesn't mean there already is, but the bottom line is this, Paul wants to make sure there isn't anything on his side, okay? So then he moves on to the first part of verse 4, Paul does. And he says this, and this, this, is, uh, this is our transition verse. So he says, giving no cause for offense in anything so that the ministry will not be discredited. And then he says this, but, but in everything, commending ourselves as servants of God. So that's the other side. So if you're, if you're taking care of giving no offense, or, uh, cause for offense in anything so that the ministry will not be discredited, then in everything you'll be commending yourselves as servants of God. And that's our, that's our transition time. And, and we're gonna come back to this later because Paul is going to do something he hardly ever does here in this, in this chapter. And if you've read ahead, you see it. He's gonna list off some of the reasons why they should recognize that he is a servant of God. The ones who constantly are looking for fault in Paul, the ones who constantly are, are talking badly about him, talking behind his back, not minding what he says to do. He's gonna list off some of the reasons why they should be recognizing he is a servant, that he has committed himself to, you, to them. Uh, and not because of their words or thoughts or references uh, to a reference letter from somebody that they may respect. Some introduction. Paul, listen to Paul. He's a great guy. None of that. He's just going to point out some of the things he's been through. And what is cool is, is this. The, he kind of answers what we saw from Second Corinthians chapter five verse twelve. He says, "We're not again commending ourselves to you, but are are giving." you a reason, an occasion to be proud of us so that you will have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. So Paul says, there's, there's a significant difference in the ministry I have had among you and the motive and integrity and the focus of that ministry than in those perhaps who would fail in the principle of self-assessment, okay? Because you're gonna be able to see this. And as we said back, uh, you know, back to verse three, giving no cause for offense in anything, Paul says, I've taken a hard look there's no part of my ministry or my life that could cause someone to be impeded on their journey and that's what we're supposed to to impose into our own life as well and that giving is uh is the present active participle did on taste? you're not a giver of hindrances very broad because it says it this way for no cause in anything you should be responsible for it at any time for anyone and, and, and again offense is not based on on someone else's opinion of what they think that of what you do okay it's, it is based on a constant evaluation with the illumination of the Holy Spirit of actions, motivation, integrity, morality. Your, your conscience correctly and informing your conscience correctly, it's gonna have the right amount of information to govern what you do, okay? Very important. Now, there are things that can, and I think it's important to put this in here because if, if we don't wanna just talk about this hypothetically. Uh, there are things that can cause us to run amok of the principles from Paul And they can be found in a number of places. And I want to point them out. So if you're going to constantly be evaluating your life and you want to make sure that you're not putting an occasion of stumbling, uh, you don't want to put some kind of of, uh, block in your brother's or sister's way, no obstacle to cause them to deviate from the path, kind of restrict them from their growth, then there are, are places that can make that evaluation fairly easy. And whether or not you're throwing up obstacles in someone's path. And we'll just call these and we'll just do this briefly and kind of take us into the end. Habits that can create a disappointing response in ministry. And I'll list four of them, and there are more. I, just, I think we can get the idea uh, of a good barometer of whether you're keeping track of this important principle. And, and one of the ones that sticks out so much to me is this, because it's so, it's so, um, it's so much everywhere. I think it's a good starting point uh, to get our attention. Psalm 81.15, it says, those who hate the Lord would pretend obedience to him, and their time of punishment would be forever. That's pretty stark, isn't it? Those who hate the Lord pretend obedience to him. Now, I don't know how you hook up with that verse, and you don't know how I hook up with that verse, do you? It's impossible for us to see in each other's heart and know uh, whether we're pretending obedience to the Lord. It's easy, though, for us to look like we're obedient to the Lord, but that doesn't mean we are, okay? And that's the whole point of the passage, pretending obedience to the Lord. And what does that indicate? Well, that you really hate him. You're just pretending like you're, you're doing it, but you're really living like the world. You know, you're, you're kind of doing what the world does, but you're pretending like in front of the right people that you're obedient to the Lord, but you're not. And, and pretending obedience uh, is pretty broad. That could mean anything from uh, saying one thing and doing another. It could mean acting one way in front of one group and another way in front of a different group. It's the ability to say the right words at the right time so you can pretend Christianity when you're in this certain circle, but that's not how you live. Now as a footnote, there are all kinds of reasons that people give for justifying why they won't be obedient, okay? We talked about this at the very beginning. And, and those aren't your responsibility, okay? The reasons people give for why they're not obedient, they're not your responsibility. You, you don't necessarily have to call those out unless they're coming to you and asking for your advice, because unsought advice is often unheeded advice, so you stepping in. Although it is our, our job as believers to watch over one another and, and, and uh, admonish each other and all those things, but there's lots of reasons why people give for justifying why they won't be obedient. And they may even blame you. But that doesn't automatically make it true. But these things we'll look at and finish up with today are things that you're responsible for as you minister to make sure you are not messing up the pathway. And one of the passages I think that is it, so moving to me here, as Paul is talking in Romans chapter 2, verse 17, if, if you remember this from many years ago, Paul is talking to the Jew, he talks to the unredeemed, the pagan, and then he talks to the Jew, the moral person, uh, who would would assume that they're um, they're pretty good. And here's what he says. He's talking to the Jews, and this is just so sad. But you can read along with me on the screen behind me. He says, "But if you bear the name Jew, so these are people that would call themselves Jews, would consider themselves teachers of other people. They would consider themselves the ones who hold the word of God and the prophets, and and all everything. You know, very prideful. We we looked at this. They believe God owed them." Uh, salvation because of all that they had been through and all that they had and and who they were. And so Paul says this, but if you bear the name Jew and rely upon the law and boast in God, so we just talked about that, uh, and know his will and approve the things that are essential, being instructed out of the law. So they had a whole bunch of, they had the law, then they had another law connected to the law to make sure you didn't break that law. And so there's plenty of things in place uh, on the outside to try to hold them in place, okay, where they should be. You see, he recognizes that, so you're instructed out of the law, you know the things that are essential, these things you make sure you do, and they had all those lists. And you're confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, and that's what the Jews were. You're a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and of the truth. So, in other words, they're in a position of the minister, aren't they? The teacher, the one who was supposed to bring the message of salvation. But, but listen to the problem, verse 21. You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You get the idea that this is not going to go in a great direction, okay? So if you said, yeah, yeah, that's me, that's me. I, you know, I keep the law. I know the things that are excellent. I'm a, light to the, uh, I'm a light to the darkness and a guide to the blind. I'm all that stuff. And then Paul makes a little change here. And if you're saying yes, 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 at the beginning, you're thinking, oh, well, wait a minute, maybe I, maybe I'm not. Therefore, you who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that one shall not steal, do you steal? You who say that one should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor temples, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law through your breaking of the law, do you dishonor God? And, And here's the second thing we really need to keep an eye on. And this is saying one thing and doing another. Because well, that throws up a huge trail barrier to the gospel and discipleship. Saying one thing and doing another. Okay? Saying you need to live a certain way and then not living that way. It's like Jesus said to the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23 verse 1. He said, Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples saying, The, the scribes and Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. This is precisely who Paul was talking to in Romans chapter 2, isn't it? That's precisely who he's, who he's addressing. So Here Jesus is talking about them in Matthew 23. The scribes and Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. So they can prove these things are essential. They're instructed out of the law. They, They rely on the law. They boast in God. They're Jews, confident, guide to the blind, all that stuff. So these people have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. They are in authority. Therefore, all that they tell you, do and observe. So everything they're saying out of the law, it's true. Do it. But do not do according to their deeds, for they say things and do not do them. There it is. That's precisely what Paul's saying in Romans chapter 12, 2 verse 17. See, they're in the seat of authority so that what they tell you from the word of God, go ahead and do it. Jesus said, but don't do what they do. They tell you to do things, but they don't do them. And that is definitely not making sure that you're saying what you're saying is not in conflict with personal virtue or morality, right? You're not minding the store there. And you don't want that to be part of your life, see? And nobody may know right now, but somebody will eventually, okay? Having one set of ethics by which you live and another by which you speak should be just obvious. That's a big no no, okay? And then Paul, back in Romans chapter 2, he says, he, he tells them the reality of the ministry, which is this the name of God is blaspheme among Gentiles because of you. So it, it's not enough that the God of this world has blinded their minds. And it's, it's not enough that they love iniquity. It's not enough that people of the world, the natural man, can't understand the things of God. It's not enough that they're blind and deaf and dumb to the truth on their own. And that's exacerbated by Satan and his demons who continue to tempt them with the desires of the flesh. And they follow after those things. It's not enough that sanctification has to occur uh, for fruit of the Spirit to be born. And, and that through the Word of God. And that's a hard battle. It's not, that's not enough, see. But Paul says, but you... By the blasphemy of your own hypocrisy, by doing, saying one thing and then doing something else, you've caused them to blaspheme God. And we talked about this last week, right? People who walk in disobedience don't make God look very good to the world. Because when the Lord has to discipline his child, the world looks at that and thinking, why would I even want to be a believer? And here, they're saying one thing and doing another, and, he's just, and Paul just says, listen, you tell them to do one thing, but you do the opposite. You just make the Gentiles blaspheme God. And that's belie- and that, that can be directly applied to the church. You walk in the world and act just like the world, and then you tell everybody you're a Christian, and they just blaspheme God. That's, that's a joke. That's what they say. That's a joke, right? Because you're no different than I am. You act just exactly like I do, and you like the same things that I like. So what's the difference with you? See? And that's the issue. That's not minding the store, right? That's, that's, that's not being careful the trail behind you, and you're causing a bunch of problems, and everybody who comes along behind in your ministry is tripping and stumbling over all those things. See? But this one's a big one. And that's an unbelievably frightening indictment to say to someone, and this is exactly what Paul says, and what Jesus said to the Pharisees, you are the cause of their blasphemy against God because you name his name and you're just a hypocrite. See. And that's precisely what people who walk in iniquity want to say. Every Christian's just a hypocrite. That's a joke. See, And that's just so horrible, isn't it? And Paul wants, and by, and by way of example, we want, no such accusation as that, see? There is a tremendous self-assessment going on in Paul's life. The faithful ambassador of Christ doesn't want anything to tarnish the vital ministry of reconciliation. Again, he's not sinless. He struggles with the same thing that you and I struggle with, and yet he is dealing with it correctly, so there is no accusation there. Nobody can, nobody can say, you live one way and you, and you say something else, see? So, so they, they have to be proactive, protecting the integrity of the gospel and the integrity of the teaching and, and the fact that they're an ambassador. And, and it's, it's easy as we read these passages to think that, uh, that the weight of integrity only applies to pastors, see. And, and everyone thinks they know of a pastor that's messed everything up. And when I hear that, you know, well, my pastor really blew this and he do it. And I always take that with a grain of salt, okay, because I've been doing this a super long time. And I'm sure you can find plenty of people who would say that about me. That doesn't make it true. I could have messed up, no question. I'm not saying that I didn't. I'm just saying that you've got to take that with a grain of salt because everybody thinks they know a pastor that, that blew it, okay? But there's this, there's this other passage that helps us understand that this, this avoiding of putting hindrances on the trail of ministry, of reconciliation and spiritual maturity, it applies to everyone, okay? And I want to draw your attention to a really cool passage from Titus chapter 2. It really draws, our t- uh, draws everyone into this responsibility. And we're going to kind of wrap up with this because we're about out of time. But Titus 2 verse 1 says this. It says, um, so Paul is teaching his son of the faith, telling him what to teach the church. And he says, but as for you, Titus, Paul says, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. In other words, know what you believe and then teach that, okay? Sound teaching, the way you should live, all this. And then he gives some examples. He says in verse two, he says, older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. So older men are supposed to be those things. Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, or enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, verse 4, so that they may encourage the young women to be a husband lover, to be a child lover, so they have some teaching to do, and by example, okay, you can't, you're not going to be able to teach that if you didn't do it, okay, again, as a hypocritical kind of a response there, if you didn't love your husband, and if you weren't faithful to him, you didn't love your children, you just kind of let them grow up like they wanted, and they don't love the Lord now, then you've missed this opportunity to do this later, okay? But this is what's supposed to go on. Paul says, Titus, teach this to the church, and this is what's supposed to look like in the church. And then he says this. He says, um, so, so older women teach the younger to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home. So keeper of the home, that's your primary primary job as a, as a wife, keeper of the home. There's other things you can do, but keeper of the home is the number one thing. Loving your husband, loving your children, those kinds of things. That's primary. Kind, being subjected to their own husband. So come up and under. Hupico, uh, come up under their husbands. A husband guides. He's a spiritual leader, and they come up under that. Now mark this, and this is important. Okay, so all these things are important, but what's, what's the byproduct of following them? Here it is. So that the what? The word of God will not be dishonored see not just pastors is it not just sunday school teachers not just small group leaders everybody in particular older men right older ladies younger ladies Then it says he's not done verse 6 likewise urge the young men to be sensible in all things show yourself to be an example of good deeds so young men this is your job he says teach uh, titus teach the church teach the young men to be sensible in all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity in doctrine. So understand what you believe and why you believe it and act on it, okay? Dignified. Let's see. Sound in speech, which is beyond reproach. So reining in your tongue, making sure you're not delving into things you shouldn't be talking about. Coarse jokes. You know, we, we know all that stuff, okay? We've talked about it before. Especially on men's retreat, we talked about all that. Market, here it is what's the reason why we do that? So that the opponent will be put to shame, right? Having nothing bad to say about it. So you've got an opponent, did you know that? Constantly accusing you before the Lord and demons who are about that all the time, but they'll have nothing bad to say. Why? Because you're doing these kinds of things. So again, it's not just that you should do them, but you do them because there's a byproduct of doing them, which is the opponent has nothing bad to say. And those who oppose you in the culture can look at your life and say, you know, I, I, I can't stand this person, they're a believer, they say they're a believer, I think all believers are hypocrites, but you know, this guy, he really does walk in integrity, you know, there's nothing conflicting there, there's no obstacle on the trail, people who are following and they're having a trip over it, and there's no trap of you being in your sins, trapping them and keeping them from going forward, see. Then verse 9 says, he's not done, he says, uh, urge bond slaves, so you can read that as those who work for other people, okay, those, if you're an employee, Urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything. So whoever's over you, uh, your employer, you're subject to them, okay? You're not dodging the man whenever you get a chance, kind of wasting your time, whatever. Be subject to your own master and everything. Be well-pleasing, not argumentative. So they may not be right, but you're not supposed to what? Always argue with them, okay? A lifestyle of being argumentative. Uh, Not pilfering, so you're not taking stuff that doesn't belong to you, but showing all good faith, mark it. What happens when you do that? So that they will adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in every respect. So when you work hard as an employee, when, you don't, when you're not recommended all the time, when you're not taking things that don't belong to you, when you're doing what you're supposed to do and you're coming up under their authority, what do you do? You adorn the gospel. You see that? You adorn the gospel. See? You make the gospel look great because you come up under your person who's over you. Verse 11 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. And beloved, what does salvation look like when you put it on? Well, Paul gives Timothy that instruction. Verse 12, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires. And that makes sense, doesn't it? Because otherwise you're just hypocritical. If you're you're not denying ungodliness and worldly desires, then you're saying one thing and doing something else, right? That's precisely what we're not supposed to do. And to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. And then verse, this last part of it, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So you live like this, that increases your desire to see Christ. You're, you're gonna be running counter grain to the culture, aren't you? You're just gonna be bumping over everything. And that just makes you long for the other kingdom, doesn't it? Because if you're just longing for this kingdom, then there's a problem. If you're just longing for the world and what the world offers, then there's a problem with your priority. And you're probably just living like the world and it's gonna be very difficult for you to have any kind of ministry that has fruit, see but if you're living this way, denying ungodliness, worldly desires, living sensibly, and this is what he told the young men to do, is what he told the young women to do, is what he told the old men to do, is what he told the older women to do, women to do live sensibly. See, so just going back over it again, deny ungodliness, worldly desires, righteously godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and appearing of the gallery of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed. So you were redeemed to be, redeemed, to be delivered from all of that. See and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. So he says, Titus, these things speak, and exhort, and reprove with all authority. Whatever action that may take, you may teach it, you may continue to encourage, exhort, call them back to it, and you may have to reprove people who aren't doing it, but it's all part of your ministry, okay? With all authority, let no one disregard you. In other words, they can't just blow you off. So you've got a responsibility to Uh, teach these things and you can see that that's everybody and it all has everything to do with adorning the gospel it has everything to do with not throwing up a big bump in the path that people are going to have a hard time following see in other words the whole issue of effectiveness in the church is founded on the integrity and the attitude and the virtue of the church not just those who minister over her but everyone see and we say this in the be the church class that whatever kind of christian you are in the culture that's berean to whoever you're around and you reflect back on Berean when you do what you do, okay? Whether you're at school, you're at work, you're retired, you're in the community, whatever it is, however you act as a believer, that reflects on us because you are us, and that just reflects back on what kind of church we are, see? And so the whole issue of effectiveness in the church is refounded founded on this integrity, this attitude, this virtue of making sure you're not putting a stumbling block in the place of someone who is traveling along behind, who's going to respond to the ministry of your word of reconciliation, see? Verse 5, so that the word of God may not be dishonored. Verse 8, so that the opponent may be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Verse 10, uh, so that we adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in every respect. Verse 12, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Verse 14, a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. See? That's the church. Not just the pastor, not just the minister, not just the small group leader, not just the Sunday school teacher. That's everybody. See? It is those people, too, but it's everybody else as well. See? See? And Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, he says, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Paul says, you know, this doesn't come easily to anyone. And I'm no exception. And I constantly bring my body into submission. Okay? And I have to stay on top of it. And that's what you have to do. See? It's not just passive. You're just passive. You're going to be going in a direction that's going to just throw up all kinds of problems from people who are coming along behind you. I discipline my body and make it my slave, see? Down body. Because that's where, that's where the problems are, see? Matthew 23, 5 is another one, another habit that's going to be real problematic for effective ministry. Matthew 23, 5, but talking about the Pharisees, talking about the, uh, uh, the scribes, but they do all their deeds to be noticed by men for they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen the tassels on their garments in other words they're looking spiritual okay phylacteries were little bundles of scripture that they would put on the ends of their coats, so they could have them to read and uh, the tassels were part of you know this holiness supposed to look holy and so they lengthen all that out so they have the appearance of holiness see so here's the here's the third one if you're kind of checking up on yourself you know you're not doing things for the right reason instead, you're doing things for the purpose of the praise of people. See. It's important that people recognize um, that you're spiritual. And if you want people to think you're spiritual and you're doing spiritual things in front of them, you'll get your wish. But that doesn't mean you are spiritual. Okay. You're doing it for the praise of people or that people will know that you did it. See? I want to make sure I go because I want people to see me there. See. Um that just betrays personal, betrays personal integrity, and, and it can really throw up a barrier on the trail of those who are you're ministering to in this ministry of reconciliation. And then in Matthew twenty three twenty five, he says, um, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites for you. And again, uh, these are terrible words, right? I mean, hypocrite. That's, uh, we definitely don't want to s- hear the Lord say, well, not that well done, you big hypocrite, right? Well done, good and faithful servant, you know? Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they're full of robbery and, and self-indulgence. This is precisely what Paul was talking about, right, in, in, uh, in the earlier passage out of Romans. You're full of robbery and self-indulgence. You just kind of do whatever you want. You take whatever you want. You do it for your own uh, self-interest. You blind Pharisees! remember Paul says, you think you're a guide to the blind. He's calling them blind. You're no guide. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and of the dish and so that the outside of it may become clean also. So, here's the fourth one. You're just kind of checking up. You want to make sure you're not throwing, you're making sure you're evaluating carefully what's going on in your life so that you're not putting some obstacles in the trail uh, of your ministry. So, not not taking care of the hidden things. The hidden things that you don't want anybody to know about. See? Not keeping a short sin list. Constant act of asking the Lord to forgive you. See, it's part of time in the Word, repentance. You know, if we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When you came to faith, beloved, did you know that was the first? That was the first step of repentance, and it became the lifestyle. It's telling the Lord that what you've done that was wrong. Using the Word of God as the model, holding up the holy standard, so you know what it is, and then you can just come to Him and say, "Lord, I, I didn't do very well here. I want to do better." So if you're not taking care of the hidden things, things things you don't want anybody to know about and you're not keeping a short sin list, that's gonna betray personal virtue and morality and it's gonna create a disappointing response in ministry because eventually it's gonna come out, see. And that's really the essence of what we saw in Second Corinthians four two. Paul says, But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, right? Those things in your life you'd rather they would be shameful if everybody knew and you just renounce them. You keep and that's a constant going on, isn't it? not walking in craftiness or adulterating the Word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, committing ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Why? Because we're renouncing, one of the things is we're renouncing the hidden things because of shame. You just, you're aware, self-aware of what's going on in your own life and you just get rid of those things constantly. You're taking captive every thought. That's what I tell men who who come to me and say, hey, what can I do? Take captive every thought. You're in charge of that, right? Greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. Whatever comes into your mind, you can take, you can take, Captive, that thought. You don't have to stay there. Or whatever that thought is that leads you down a path that's not exalting to the Lord, you just grab it and say, I'm not, I'm not thinking about this. That's an active involvement, okay? Protecting impurity, protecting morality, integrity, it's essential. That's exactly what Paul says. He says in verse 3, he says, giving, giving no af- uh, cause for offense in anything, so that the ministry will not be discredited. And if you're keeping track of those things, then the first part of verse 4 will be true. But in everything, commending ourselves as servants of God. You want to be able to say with Paul in Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, for our proud confidence is this. What is it, Paul? The testimony of our conscience, that in holiness and godly sincerity, and not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God, because that's how that's all going to happen, Holiness and godly sincerity is going to come through the grace of God, through the Holy Spirit residing in you, and you feeding on the Word of God and letting it dwell in in you richly with all wisdom. That's how that begins to change who you are. That's the sanctifying process, see. We have conducted ourselves in the world and especially toward you. So Paul can say that, see. He can say that because his conscience is being informed correctly and he's acting on that, see. So he can say, I have have a good conscience before you. But you can see this is constantly on Paul's mind going to minister, uh, you want to deal with the highs and lows, make sure your, your own life is being brought in correct boundary. He says in 2 Corinthians 5.11, he says, um, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God, and I hope that we're made manifest also in your conscience that's where we're going to go next week. He's going to start talking about the reasons why, you know, if you looked at my life, Paul says, you'll see some of these things that should indicate why what I've done among you is a proper thing and I've not thrown up any roadblocks in front of you. But beloved, that takes work. Okay? That takes work. It takes self-awareness and time in the Word each day so that there is an active dialogue between you and the Lord. It's going on every day. How can any man keep his way pure? Going on all the words that the Lord has given us. Listen, there's, there's no shortcut to that. Maturity, uh, moving away from hypocritical actions and speech and stuff that people don't see that just takes work and a dialogue between you and the Lord in the word each day which creates an openness and an active prayer time see a time in the word is going to create this active open prayer time which leads to a regular time of confession a regular time of repentance and an active battle with sin that's still at home in the flesh which puts you in a position where you're not throwing up any roadblocks okay that's where we want to be and that's why I say at the beginning you know it's a simple it seems like a simple enough verse so much work wrapped up in that work that we are to be involved with, because the people we're ministering to are so valuable, see, and and the ministry is so valuable, and the things that we're saying are so important. We make sure we're not messing it up by what we're allowing. Okay, let's make that our prayer today. If you bow with me, Lord, we thank you today for an opportunity to be in your Word. We're so grateful for it. How clear it is. How much it can encourage us to uh, open up and take out the faulty parts and put the new ones in. And so, Father, that's what we want to do. We thank you for. The clear passage here from Paul as uh, he teaches uh, concerning all these things, everything, commending ourselves as servants of God. Um, Father, we we really want to give no cause for offense in anything. Uh, I don't know all the different uh, spheres of influence that each of our our members has, Lord, but I pray that that's my prayer for them, give no cause for offense in anything so that the ministry will not be discredited and that they'll have active, faithful, um, profitable ministry, however it works out whether it's, it's exposing green fruit to the sun for the first time, whether it's, it's uh, nurturing and watering and fertilizing, or whether it's picking uh, that ripe fruit, harvesting, whatever it is, that will give no cause for offense. No place in the trail where we've messed it up and caused them to go off because of what we've done. So help that to be our prayer. Lord, enhance our ministry, improve it, help it to grow, help us to seek the opportunity to be and ambassador, help us to seek the opportunity to have a ministry of reconciliation and give out the word of reconciliation, because this is where you'd have us be, in the midst of this crooked and perverse world among whom we shine like lights in the world. And we praise you for that, and we thank you for those promises, and we say all this in the name of your son, Jesus, and all God's people said, amen.